Thanks for listening to The Bridge Podcast. I'm Andrew Jackson. We want to extend a word of caution to any parents with young children listening to this episode in particular. Nearly every episode of The Bridge Podcast is family-friendly. This episode, however, covers a lot of the harsh realities of human trafficking. Adult concepts and situations are referenced to in this episode. Well, hey, thank you for joining us for another episode of the Bridge Podcast. And this week, we have quite a serious topic. We're going to discuss human trafficking. And Bill, I'm glad to have you back here with us. It's been a little while since we've had you on an episode, but thanks for joining us Yeah, my pleasure. Thank you. Great topic. Important topic. Very important topic. And I think as we'll find by speaking with Zoe Ministries Director Yolanda Schleybaugh, that this is something that is a bit hidden in our communities. It's good to have you here, Yolanda. Thank you. It's great to be here. Thank you for the invitation. You also brought two guests with you, and we're happy to meet both Sharon Stevens and Tammy Holland. Hi, it's nice to be with you. I am uh, Sharon Stevens, and I serve as the spiritual director of Zoe Ministries, and just um, very pleased to be here with you today. Hello, good morning. My name is Tammy Holland, and I am assistant director and professional counselor working with Zoe Ministries. Excellent. Well, thank you all for being here. We look forward to jumping into the topic. But before we do, I want to remind our listeners that the Bridge Podcast is made possible by our sponsor, Boardwalk Plaza Hotel and Victoria's Restaurant. The Boardwalk Plaza Hotel is basically experiencing the best of the beach right on the boardwalk. If you've never been down there, you can you can sit on the boardwalk and eat your meal. They do breakfast, lunch, and dinner. And then head right inside to the hotel. You can stay Uh, in a Victorian-themed hotel. You know, they even have a speaking parrot. Did you realize that? (laughs) I did. Yeah, it's pretty crazy to actually check that out. So it's a lot of fun to visit. You can get uh, all the details about Boardwalk Plaza Hotel and Victoria's Restaurant online if you visit boardwalkplaza.com. Now, Yolanda, you have started a ministry, Zoe Ministry, some years ago. Can you tell us just a bit of background about that organization and what you felt led to do in forming it. Certainly. So in 2012, Mm -hmm. I formed a board of directors and actually Bill Sammons Jr. sat on that board with me um, and helped us navigate our way through developing not only the board of directors and bylaws, but also developing the vision and the mission that God gave to me in 2012. And when we originally formed, we thought perhaps we would be serving homeless pregnant women Mm -hmm. through shelter or housing services. And so when I called the state offices to find out where the gaps, where the voids, where the needs in our state for that population, somebody made the comment that we don't have any services or housing for trafficking victims in our state. Hmm. I didn't know what a trafficking victim was. I thought it was somebody that got hit by a car in traffic. And so I learned that human trafficking is indeed happening in the United States. It is indeed happening in Delaware. And in fact, after checking out the Polaris website, I discovered that the I-95 corridor was a hotbed for trafficking because you can so easily be moved from state to state and sort of get lost in the shuffle as traffickers and pimps keep you on the move because they don't want anybody settling in, reaching out and getting services, reaching out, getting resources and getting help. And they want to keep control 
over their survivors, over their victims. So my concern was on the I-95 corridor, because that comes through Delaware, because we didn't have state legislation and we had zero arrests or prosecutions under the federal law at that time, all of our surrounding states had task forces. They had state legislation. They had arrests and prosecutions. They had people looking for this and aware in their state that this was happening. My concern was that we were going to have folks from the 95 corridor bring victims into Delaware, mm -hmm. and Delaware would be a safe haven. We'd have a complete blind spot to this. We wouldn't even have anybody looking out for it. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Wow. And so while there were small pockets of people who were aware of it because they saw survivors and victims within their service areas, mm -hmm. but they didn't know what to do about it. Mm -hmm. And we didn't have statewide law enforcement trained, and there was really no reason to at that point because none of us really knew what we were looking for, including myself. I had no idea what trafficking was in 2012. So interesting. So from the local police level to the state police level, even up to some of the federal level, Delaware was not on the radar as far as law enforcement or legislation was concerned. That is correct. But it was being utilized for human sex trafficking. Absolutely. Wow. Yes. And, and did everybody assume there was not a problem because there were no numbers? That's exactly what happened. Mm -hmm. People said, we, we don't see this. Law enforcement said, you know, we, we don't have stats. We don't see this. And this doesn't happen here. And we don't have arrests for it. And God gave me a directive. And when he told me that he would use me to change the landscape in Delaware when it came to trafficking, mm -hmm. that it is a huge problem here and that he would be the one that would go before me and I would be the mouthpiece mm. and I would be the voice for the voiceless and to just start walking. And when he told me that I would become an expert in this state on this topic, I felt very much like... Gideon hiding right, and saying, I think you might have the wrong one. Right. I really don't know anything about this topic, which is exactly where he wanted me because he was my teacher. He was my guide. And I had to completely, totally depend on him for every single step that we took. And so I watched him miraculously put me in places I didn't belong. Mm. He gave me credibility with organizations and within the state that I hadn't earned. Mm -hmm. And within two years, in 2014, we passed our first human trafficking legislation under wow. Senate Bill 197 that created a human trafficking coordinating council that they asked me to sit on and co-chair the victim services subcommittee. And so I worked on that council for a couple of years, and we've seen some more pieces of legislation pass. And now there is so much more awareness and God has just really orchestrated step by step. And because I don't know what I'm doing, I am completely dependent on him who knows all and sees all and orchestrates all. Wow. And so it has been an amazing, amazing journey to watch this happen. One of the, one of the amazing things was, so baseline problem, we weren't recognizing, we weren't counting it, we weren't monitoring and doing anything about it. The second problem, if I, if you can correct me, is that we were treating the victims as criminals. Correct. And didn't you go about getting that changed? Yes. So we um, recognize that often in our state, we have seen trafficking victims as 
prostituted adults or as prostitutes. Mm -hmm. And so when we look at these survivors through that lens, then everything that they do or that happens with them fits into that mold. Mm -hmm. But if we start beginning to understand the undercurrent that the prostitution is kind of that mountain tip that you see, you know, the picture mm -hmm. above, above the, the water, iceberg, right, above yeah. the iceberg. That's that's the quote prostitution piece that we see. Mm. But that huge iceberg underneath often has that undercurrent of trafficking that people don't don't understand all of the dynamics that go into creating a situation like that. So once we had law enforcement and Department of Justice and our behavioral sciences folks and some therapists, school teachers. We had a lot of people starting to become aware and starting to see this in their systems and understanding, I knew there was something weird about that, but I couldn't quite put my finger on it. You know, and when, we, when I would do trainings in hospitals or with healthcare staff, and they would say, you know, there's this older guy that was probably only five years older than, than this patient came in and he wouldn't let her speak and he would answer all the questions for her and she wouldn't give us eye contact and she didn't have her own ID. And he said that he was her uncle and something was odd, but I just didn't know what to do about it. And so once we start recognizing some of those red flags and indicators, we say, okay, now we're recognizing that, that we do have an issue, but now what do we do once we Mm -hmm. identify that there's a potential victim here. All right. So let's back up a second because we're moving really fast because you've touched on several things here. There's this iceberg of a problem and we only see the tip of it typically, or we're only aware of the tip of it. So I'd like to unpack a little bit more. What is human trafficking as a whole? What, what is this world about? What's, what's it made up of? And, um, and then we'll move into some of those things like you had started to mention, some of the signs and ways that you can be more aware. And then what I'd like to do is see if we can move into some areas where people can tackle this and help work with organizations like Zoe Ministries or their local law enforcement to find some resolution in their community. Absolutely. So the question to me normally is, what is the difference between prostitution and trafficking? Mm -hmm. So according to the Department of Justice, um, it is using force, fraud, or coercion in order to control somebody else for the purpose of labor trafficking or sex trafficking. Polaris has identified 25 different forms of trafficking in the United States. Mm, wow. The greatest form of trafficking that, that we see and we believe happens is for sex. Okay. Although there is labor trafficking as well, and mm -hmm. we have both kinds in every city, in every county, in the state of Delaware. Wow. It is happening in all 50 states, and most people don't think about trafficking happening in their own backyard. But most of the places that I present, I can show them within 5 to 10 miles what that looks like. And we can unpack that a little bit mm -hmm. later. But the difference between prostitution and trafficking are three key words, according to Department of Justice. It's force, fraud, and coercion. Okay. So I, I want to give you an example mm -hmm. of what it may look like in Delaware in a typical case. So we have a 15-year-old who may come from pretty average home, Christian parents, spends a lot of time on social media as many teenagers do, mm -hmm. 
that's one of the ways that traffickers will connect is through apps and gaming mm. and social media because they know they can access kids and keep it confidential or secret. Sure. Mm -hmm. And so if we have a 16, 14, 15, 16-year-old that is putting all of her information and her heartbreak mm -hmm. and where she's going to be on Friday night and pictures of herself. Mm. And maybe she mentions that, you know, I had a big fight with my mom and I just wish I could leave, but I don't have anywhere to go. Mm. And then maybe two or three days later, she posts, I'm going to the movies Friday night at the mall. What she doesn't understand is that there are predators who's, right. who's mm -hmm. take very seriously their job of scouring social media and certain sites mm. looking for vulnerable kids who have a hole in their heart mm. or a gap in their life or some a space that they need filled. And they are very good mm -hmm. about connecting with them in that place and trying to fill that void for them in a way that mm. their parents or their community can't. And they offer them promises. So he may show up Friday night at the same mall knowing exactly what she looks like and exactly what she needs to hear. Mm -hmm. And he's never communicated that with her. He's just read all of her social media posts. Right, right. She's made herself completely vulnerable without even realizing it. Yes. And uh, he's going to take advantage of that situation. And they do take advantage of that. Mm -hmm. And so he shows up, stands behind her in line, starts striking up a conversation mm -hmm. and telling her how pretty she is. He can't believe that she doesn't have a date. He doesn't have anybody to sit with either. Would it be okay if he would sit with her mm. at the movies? Yeah. They may go out for ice cream. He may tell her, look, by law, I'm an adult. I'm 19. Mm -hmm. So your parents may not be cool with this. So we're going to keep this a secret because I know you're mature enough to be able to handle this kind of relationship. And, and it's very much a romantic Romeo luring mm -hmm. them into a relationship, getting her to fall in love with him. Promising her that once she's 18, they're going to run away and get married. And right. in the meanwhile, they, they got to figure out a way to make some money and keep it a secret the entire time. And there may be an app that they use to communicate. There's a, there's a number of apps that, that parents need to be mm -hmm. aware of that, for example, the calculator app, hmm. a parent who is concerned about their children's communication on their phone, maybe scrolling through to make sure their phone seems safe, mm -hmm. pass right over something that looks like a calculator. Sure. What the parent doesn't know is that there's a four-digit code that only the predator and the child know about, that when that code is punched in, it opens up this whole realm of videos and Snapchats and texts and Are pictures that nobody would even pay attention to. No, that's ridiculous. And so wow. there are apps that, that are being created all the time mm. that predators use to keep that a secret. So once he pulls her into a relationship and, and when I, I'm using her mm -hmm. pronoun quite a bit, because that's often in sex trafficking cases, it's normally an adult man buying mm -hmm. a woman or a girl, mm -hmm. but traffickers can be women and victims can be male mm. of any age, not just for labor, but also for sex. Right. So while I'm using that sort of as my go-to, I want us to understand that victims and predators can be any gender. So as he pulls her in to relationship, 
maybe they've been dating for six or eight months. Mm-hmm. So they. So this may, is a long game plan for this him. This is a long. They're very patient. Mm. They because they pull. It's all about relationship, mm-hmm. and and we'll we can talk a little bit more later about what happens in that relationship, and it's called trauma bonding. It's mm. kind of the same thing as Stockholm syndrome. Right. Okay. But that is the piece that's so frustrating for service providers and for law enforcement. Because they are bonded by trauma eventually to their predator, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. to their trafficker. And they believe that they love them. So this woman, this girl falls in love with him and is planning on running away and getting married because he gives her all of these promises mm-hmm. about what's going to happen when she becomes an adult. Mm-hmm. And so he may say, okay, well, we've been together for about a year. You know, you're getting closer to 18, so it's time to start stacking up some money. And this is the way that I need you to do your part in making money for us. Hmm. And so he may set up dates, Hmm. as he calls it, and she'll have sex, Hmm. get paid for it, give him the money. And she may agree to that because Hmm. she may have already been abused on some level. Mm She may not understand her worth. Mm -hmm. She may be so in love with him, she's willing to do whatever it takes to keep him. Or she might say, no, I really don't want to sleep with anybody else. Mm -hmm. That's where the force, fraud, or coercion comes in. Okay. So she may be beaten. She may be gang raped. Mm -hmm. She may be tortured. She may be locked in a closet for two days with no food and water. So at the end of that time, She's forced to do it anyway. Mm -hmm. So the next time he tells her, I'm going to set you up on a date and this is what you're going to do. She quickly agrees because she doesn't want the torture because she knows she's going to be forced to do it anyway. So by that time they've had sex, he's already taken videos of them together or already has pictures of her. And then he uses those. He's got some leverage against her. Yes. He uses those to say, I will post this all over social media. He knows where she goes to school, where she may go to church, where her parents work, and threaten to blast that if she doesn't do exactly what she's told. Or, you know, after being beaten, he may say, I know where you live and I'm going after your kid's sister. So that brings up some good questions. As a person, the impact on her has already been psychological and physical. And what, Tammy, could you maybe tell us a bit more about that impact on that individual that's gotten drawn into human trafficking? What are the, some of the psychological things that they have to overcome or what are the things that they're dealing with in that, in that situation? So a lot of times, like in, 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 um, most of their cases, they are vulnerable already emotionally, um, through previous traumas that they've endured. Um, a lot of them have attachment issues going on, which makes them really susceptible to that, uh, sweetheart mm-hmm. boyfriend, um, the way that, the way that the, the pimp will approach it's as a, it's very romantic. And so that really plays into their, um, sense of self and, in you know, to the core of who we are, we're all looking to be loved and accepted. So we're starving for this and here comes this person. And so the attachment is made really quite easily on behalf of the vulnerable child. Um, 
what happens is, is that it's a real struggle then for them to be able to start to accept this person that says they love me is now creating harm to me. And a lot of times, um, Yolanda gave the the scenario that we just heard. It was a child being lured by an actual pimp. A lot of times it's a familial, um, it, it, it's done in the family where mom or dad or both are pimping out their own child. Mm -hmm. So again, you have this struggle with that inner child's emotions of the same person who I'm looking to, that I'm vulnerable to, to love and care for me is also the person who's harming me the right, most. Right. And with that, we get dissociation. Mm -hmm. So the this kind of level of trauma leads to children literally having to dissociate mm. because in their brain and in their emotions, they cannot handle this incongruency. Mm -hmm. It's just too much for the human to handle. Um so you can you perpetuate that and you have a person who is very incongruent inside. You have a person who's not in touch with their own self. You have a person who feels like they can't trust themselves and they can't trust others, mm -hmm. which leads into, as you can imagine, all kinds of relational issues. Absolutely. And I guess maybe it was a naive question on my part. I was ready to say, well, where are mom and dad during all of this? Yeah. Really, like in my upbringing, I had a stable home. And so that's the experience I bring to this, you know, this world, this dark undercurrent. So in my mind, I'm thinking, well, mom and dad should have come to the rescue a long time ago, but it sounds like there's even deeper issues there with the abuse in the home. And there absolutely can be in, yeah. in, to your point, I remember the day that I first heard that, that it could look like that. Mm -hmm. And I was visiting a woman in jail and she had shared with me that her mom was her trafficker mm. for drug money. And I think my jaw literally hit the table because it was a sh such a shock to my system to consider that that could be. Um, later have worked with women who it was her mom also that was her trafficker, but her brother was her um, overseer, hmm. if you will, uh, he would, he would drive her and he would be in the room present and he too would rape his sister. Mm -hmm. Um, and so there's, it, there's this whole familial aspect, um, in the pimping world, a lot of that is generational. Um, you'll come across pimps where they'll be like, my dad was a pimp. My uncle was a pimp and they taught me how to be a pimp. Mm. So it's a very interesting generational familial mm -hmm. topic as well. Well, then where does that lead us as a community? What kind of impact does this type of culture and this type of um, criminal undercurrent have on the community as a whole, economically, and maybe, you know, culturally, socially? I think that as a whole... When people ask me, typically during Q&A, they say, how do we drive down demand? Because we know that this, this has been considered a public health issue. This is considered a societal crisis. This is a nationwide issue, a statewide issue, a local issue. To have this kind of trauma within our communities go unaddressed mm -hmm. will only perpetuate more victimization because you give away what you have. So if you're holding a brown crayon you're going to color brown. When you have trauma and brokenness and dysfunction mm. that has not been addressed in the way that Tammy discussed, then we continue to perpetuate and give away what we have. Mm. 
it really truly only is the power of Jesus Christ that is going to break through the gates of hell on this Mm. and make a difference, not only for the healing for the victims, but also in the mindset of the perpetrators. And one of the greatest Mm. issues that really leads into human trafficking is pornography. Mm-hmm. And, and it's a tough topic. A lot of people don't understand what pornography has to do with trafficking. My daughter, who is a senior at Delmarva Christian High School, said that in the school they just read a study where 60 to 70% of high school boys in Christian high schools throughout the nation view pornography on a regular basis. Mm-hmm. What that does is it creates a mindset that objectifies women for the sake of satisfying your own lust. Mm -hmm. And when that has become so acceptable in our society to view that behind a screen, it then becomes acceptable in our hearts to do it in person Mm -hmm. as well. And, And there are millions and millions of free websites of pornography, including child pornography. Mm. And so many people who view porn believe that it doesn't hurt anybody. It's the women doing this behind the camera willfully. They're enjoying it. That's part of the fantasy. Mm -hmm. And so I'm paying or viewing, clicking on that, Mm -hmm. and I'm supporting their work. Mm -hmm. It's sex work. It's what they choose to do. So it's between two consensual adults. And while that is that does exist... You're telling us that a big majority of what we think exists as a choice is not a choice. That is absolutely correct. Because consent and choice are not the same thing. And so it gets a little bit tricky. Mm -hmm. And that's when it is the Holy Spirit that has to help. That's like the bone from the marrow Mm -hmm. kind of thought process. And so while I am not saying that every single situation involves trafficking when it comes to pornography, many of them do. Mm -hmm. And one of the ways that, that perpetrators or traffickers or pimps will groom their girls or their women is when they get them into their house, they will 24 seven stream porn into that. So they become desensitized Mm -hmm. to it. They learn what's expected of them. They understand that they are going to be marginalized and objectified and used in that way. And it becomes normal to them. Mm -hmm. So while things become normal, it doesn't mean that it's healthy, but they become desensitized to it. And that's the expectation. And they've been told that's all they're good for. Mm -hmm. And there's a lot of value in it. So you used to give it away for free. But there's this weird attachment of now there's value to you by somebody paying for it. And it's a very skewed perception, but that's often what perpetrators will use Hmm. as part of that psychological manipulation and entrapment in the trauma bonding. And so what many people don't realize, and there's so much research on this, is that oftentimes when that camera is rolling, There is also a pimp or a trafficker potentially with a gun that says you don't Mm. stop or there's going to be a price to pay because we're, this is costing us money to shoot this video. So you're going to do exactly what you're told 
the way you're told to do it. And if you don't, mm. that's when that force, fraud, or coercion piece comes in. So there is trafficking not only in pornography, but also in strip clubs. It can happen. It's not, it's not just the 15-year-old being lured. There mm -hmm. are so many different ways that we can be trafficked. And one of, one of the myths that I think the public needs to understand is that when there's, there's as many different ways to traffic somebody as there is creativity and a human brain. Hmm. So we may have a grandparent who needs a place to stay, who has a 15 year old girl that they can sell in exchange for rent, hmm. or it may be in exchange for drug money, or we may have a 17 year old who's selling his 14 year old for some kind of sexual favor after a ride home from school or doing homework. Mm -hmm. There are so many different ways to traffic someone. You can traffic someone in your house. You don't have to cross state lines. People often get human smuggling and human trafficking confused. And while they may intersect and overlap, they are not the same thing. Human smuggling is a violation against the border. Human trafficking is a violation of human rights mm -hmm. against the person. So someone might be thinking at this point, well, I don't, you know, I don't go to those websites. I don't go to those places. I don't involve myself in that part of our culture or our community. But we all have neighbors and we're all active in our community. We go to the grocery store. We, we go to church on a regular basis. We're involved in organizations, you know, uh, whether they be, you know, fraternal organizations or other nonprofits, things like this. We see other people on a regular basis. What might be some signs that someone is starting to participate in this culture or starting to work on trafficking someone or that they're, they notice someone being trafficked. I think when, uh, we, we finally take time to look outside of ourselves because that let's face that in this particular, um, problem that we have in our society, uh, we, we are very self centered. <laughs> We we're very self-centered. We we're very self-focused. And so we pay attention to ourselves, right? We walk in and out of a grocery store. We don't look anyone in the eye. We want to get our items. We want to get back out and we want to go home. And so we don't pay attention to people um, mm -hmm. as human beings. And um, so if we decided to do that, if we decided to make connection with people, um, it wouldn't be difficult to see some of these issues popping up. Hmm. Um, especially I would just take the school system. Um, for example, I deal a lot with teenagers. So if I were to consider a group of teenagers, um, it may be easier than you think to pinpoint, um, a teenager that is involved in trafficking. Although some of them are very good at, at hiding, mm -hmm. um, what's going on. Uh, but some of the, the red flags may be just a disconnect. Um, so you may have had a normally engaged teenager in sports, in community uh, functions, in school functions, and then they, they uh, progressively pull back from those things. They become uh, uninvolved, and um, they're, they're tired when they're in school constantly. Um, they're just checked out. So mm -hmm. when you're in class, you can say, well... You know, I sit in algebra class and I'm checked out, but, um, they're checked out on a regular basis mm -hmm. and, um, they just don't seem like they used to seem, you know, they don't, they aren't themselves. 
And so those are just some of the, the immediate things that we can, can look for in teenagers. Um, in everyday, what would you say as far as society goes and, and adults, um, you know, just some, some signs there, what would you? One of the things that um, traffickers and predators often do is they will lavish with gifts mm. or trips. Um, you may have teenagers that are gone for the weekend with a boyfriend, maybe to Jersey City, Atlantic City, down to the beach, and they come back with a brand new wardrobe mm. or a new blingy cell phone or the promise <laughs> of money for a car, for a new vehicle. There's so many different ways. It just depends on what that child or individual needs. They will meet them at the point of that need and then exploit mm -hmm. them as a person when they give them mm -hmm. whatever fills that void. And so there may be cash that is laying around the house or secrecy, or they may, they may become addicted to drugs. Mm -hmm. It's very common for there to be addiction issues because of the trauma, mm -hmm. because our bodies and our minds are not created to hold that kind of abuse and endure that kind of trauma. If someone were to tell me that you will, you will sleep with, be raped by, mm -hmm. be exploited by 25 to 40 people a day mm. in 15 to 20 minute increments, and you will endure this, but I have something that can numb your pain. Mm-hmm. And that whole dissociation piece that Tammy discussed, along with the addiction, is, is what helps them survive. These individuals have amazing survival skills. Mm -hmm. They are very smart. Mm -hmm. And they have learned what they need to do in order to survive. And so to many of us who have never walked in those shoes, it is very easy to judge and we have to be really careful because the things that we are judging them for is what has helped them survive and not die in the process. Mm, very interesting. So recently we went to a conference in Cincinnati, Ohio, and there was a woman there. Uh, her story really caught my attention because this was right near my hometown of Belvedere, Illinois. This happened in Rockford, Illinois. Her daughter is in high school. And, um, her signs that her daughter was getting lured into the life was a lot of lying and sneaking out at night. Mm -hmm. So what had come to, um, be the story was that a, a young girl, also high school age, uh, who used to be in the Girl Scout troop of, with her daughter and this mother was the Girl Scout troop leader. So knows this other girl very well. She recruited her daughter into the life. Mm. And so, uh, out of that mom started getting very suspicious with a lot of sneaking out at night, a lot of not being able to account for where and who you've been with. And, um, and then the gifts of the clothes, you know, finer clothes and, and talking about a boyfriend that she's in love with. So those were definitely some, some signs mm -hmm. that that mom cued in right away. Then she got nosy and got on her phone. And, and come to realize what her daughter was getting involved with. The more you guys talk about this, the more I, I get that iceberg analogy. Uh, because attacking this is, you got to come at it a million ways. And it's ever moving. It seems like ever evolving, growing and so on. But if you can get real practical for a minute, uh, forget that you run a ministry and that you are experts in this. How has this changed what you do at home with your children? 
I put the fear of God in my children, <laughs> okay. um, and that's pretty effective. So but you're, I, you're really blunt with them. I'm about- very blunt with them. You have to be very blunt with them and say, look, if somebody approaches you and they offer you this, this, or this, you need to come talk to me about it. They understand that there are predators, that this world is a scary place, and we can do whatever we want to do to try and bubble wrap them <clears throat> in a society that yeah. there is evil. There, is, there are bad people who want to hurt your children. And so while we don't want to create unnecessary horror, there needs to be a respectful fear of anything that could potentially put them in harm's way. Because this, this is not a matter of, you know, an overnight stay that can be addressed in a few counseling sessions later. This is a matter of a lifetime Mm. of climbing out of the trauma. And with the help of the Holy Spirit and the help of the right resources, it is possible, but it is a long, long journey that prevention is such um, a better way to spend our time, energy, and resources than aftercare. Mm. Mm -hmm. Um, So being very blunt, and there are plenty of videos. You can YouTube or Google videos on, on teenagers being trafficked, and hundreds of them will pop up, letting them see the reality of it and letting them see the trauma and the horror and how the teenagers started out with all these promises and they were so excited about this newfound love and the money and all the excitement of traveling and how that very quickly turned into a life-threatening, horrible, evil situation. They need to see that. They need to understand it. And yes, you need to be age-appropriate. Mm-hmm. I have a 23-year-old. A 17-year-old and 11-year-old, and they all know about human trafficking. They can tell you exactly what it is, what the red flags are. They watch out for it with their friends. They talk to their friends about it. Mm -hmm. Look, the traffickers are out there in their networks. Mm -hmm. They're coming after our children on purpose intentionally. And if we do not come at our children intentionally with the truth Mm -hmm. and how to prevent this and protect them, then we put them at risk. And so when you are silent... You are then complicit. Mm. Yes. Um, I am big into education of our teenagers. Um, we, they have the internet at their fingertips daily. Um, so they are seeing things that they aren't coming home and discussing with us, even though we think we may be really, really good parents. Um, so it is not okay for us to sit back and assume that things aren't happening or assume that our one sentence that we've given them of instruction um, or guidance Mm -hmm. is going to combat the hours that they are on these phones. Um, So education is huge for your kids. Communication is really, really big to be in communication with your kids, Um, to know your child, invest in your child. We are so busy today with our with our jobs and and just different shifts and and you know work that we do that we often miss it we can miss it and just an example that i gained from the conference in cincinnati that we just returned from one of the workshops i went to was led by a survivor and um she was raised in a you know, a typical situation for this to occur. She was raised in a uh, very Christian two-parent home, um, you know, very involved, you know, family with one another, engaged. 
And what happened was um, a new couple moved into town and invested their lives in the church. Hmm. So they entered the church. They became part of small groups. And so when, when Yolanda and Tammy were talking about that, that luring process, um, it's very long sometimes, months and years. And so they're very patient for what they want. And so this couple got involved in Bible study and, um, you know, gained the trust of the parents. They, they, you know, went to each other's houses for dinner. And so after a while, they said, you know, we're going to the mall. Can we take your kids? And so three or four of the girls went, went, had a great time, came back, no problem. A couple of months later, is it okay if we take them to the zoo an hour away? Yep, went. Came back, no problem. It would be just like, you know, letting your kids go with a youth leader, right? Mm -hmm. And so months later, you know, we're going to D.C. for a day, an overnight. A wife and husband, um, can we take your children? Okay, sure. And they went, you know, no problem, came back. So all this is, you know, happening over a period of a year's time or so. And finally, um, can we take you to New York City? And, you know, the mom kept saying, no, absolutely not, absolutely not, absolutely not. And then when a trauma occurred in the family, um, the, this young man, this, this couple um, made sure the teenager asked her mom if she could go to New York at that time. Ask her now while she's distracted. And so she went and mm. asked her, and she said, yeah, yeah, just go, just mm. go. And so we're all susceptible to that, right, as parents? Yeah, yeah, I hear you, kind of, just go. And um, she went, and that was the weekend she said she was trafficked mm. uh, out to 27 men mm. for that weekend. So I don't say that to bring fear, but we have to be invested in our kids' lives. We can't be everywhere they are. We can't, you know, follow them everywhere but we have to establish relationship well enough with them that um, when something's off, we can detect it. Mm-hmm. When, you know, if you, have, if you have a close friend, if something's off with that close friend, you usually can detect it. It should be that way with your kids. Um, so educating them, being very straightforward with them. Um, I, tell, I tell my son, you know, we talk about pornography and I say, you know what? The Sports Illustrated, the swimsuit edition of Sports Illustrated, pornography. You know, our society would say, that's crazy. That's not true. Um, it is objectifying women. They might have a string bikini on. They might not be completely naked. Um, but it is objectifying women. That's the purpose of that, mm-hmm. that swimsuit edition. And so when our society says it's okay, then we, even in the Christian community, say, yeah, that's okay. So one of the things that as a community we must do is change the social norms, mm-hmm. um, which is, is quite a daunting task, but it begins with one person at a time, right? So, yeah, so in agreement with what both Yolanda and Sharon just shared, I just recently uh, touched base with my 16-year-old on the pornography conversation. Mm-hmm. Um, and to my surprise, he said, Mama, um, and he named his friends, two of them, he said, and specifically are struggling with it and they're 16 as well. Um, so these are real live conversations to be having with our 
sons and our daughters. Another big piece that has introduced into the conversation because of this work for me is how we view uh, the broken survivors. Um, so when I go and visit somebody in jail or prison, is that person any less than? And I would say absolutely not, right? And, and to teach them, you know, trauma and... Um, we, you know, we live in a spiritual world where the enemy does a lot of damage as much as we let him get away with and people get broken in that process. So, so through the subject is just how do we view each other? Are we looking at this person in Christ's kind of eye with Christ-like eyes? Absolutely. Well, Tammy, Sharon, Yolanda, thank you all three for joining Bill and I on this episode concerning human trafficking. And as you pointed out, this is an iceberg and we've only just seen the tip from a distance. So I would love to have you back to discuss this at length and maybe some different aspects of it at another time. If you would join us, that would be wonderful. We Thank would be you. happy to. Thank you for having Thank us. You for Thank you for having us. Thank you very much. And listen, please ble be sure to download the Bridge mobile app to get the latest podcast episodes. If you enjoyed this podcast episode, please share it with a friend. If it's something that can help them out of a bad situation or to be aware of what's going on in their surroundings, be sure to share it with them. You can provide feedback and suggest show topics when you email podcast at 887thebridge.com. And you can get complete show notes with resource links on our website at 887thebridge.com.